no matter who you are, there are people who are watching you. Uh, they're listening to the words that you say. They're watching how you handle things. You are being an influence on someone else, whether you intend to be or not. This last October, our staff went on a retreat, and whenever we go on a retreat several months before, I give them all a book and ask them to read it. And then we gather together sometime on the retreat to discuss the different chapters of the book. This year, uh, we looked at a book called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. And in that book, she talks about the best leaders are one who multiply somebody's talents, gifts, abilities by uh, the way that they relate to them. In fact, she says all leaders fall into one of two categories. You're either a multiplier that makes someone better at what they're doing, or you're a diminisher, one that stifles somebody's abilities by always having to have your way or always trying to take credit for what they're doing or always putting them down or criticizing them. And all of us fall into one of those two categories. We're either multipliers or we're diminishers. It reminds me of a book that I read about 35 years ago by Gordon McDonald, which is called Renewing Your Spiritual Passion. And in that book, he talks about the people in our lives either help us to be more passionate for Christ or they take us away from that. And what he talked about is he talked about there are people who are triple pluses. And the triple pluses, they ignite or they inspire our passion for Jesus Christ. And then he talked about those who serve with us, and he called them double pluses. These are the people who share our passion for Christ. And he said, you need to be around people who inspire your passion for Christ and share your passion for Christ. And then he said, you need to pass that on to others who catch our passion for Christ. And they're single pluses. And it's encouraging to us to see the next generation uh, catch on to that. And so we're in one of those categories on that side of the line, but he also in that book talked about there are some people, and he just basically says they're zeros in terms of their impact on us for our passion for Christ. Uh, he calls these very resourceful people, the triple pluses, the very important people, the double pluses, and the very teachable people, those who catch our passion. He calls these the very nice people. They just sit and watch. They're spectators, by the way, in the church. There are a lot of people like this in the church. They don't serve. They don't give. They're just watching, and they don't add anything. They don't take anything away. But then he talks about a final category, and he calls these the very draining people, and these are the people who sap your passion for Christ. Uh, when they come in, they, the, the, they just suck the air out of the room because they're always criticizing. They're always putting down. They don't do anything for the cause of Christ, but they criticize anybody who's taking the risk to do something for the cause of Christ. Now, here's the real question today. All of us influence others. All of us bring an energy to bear or we take energy away. Are you more on this part of the continuum or are you on this more, more on this part? Talk about in your marriage, in your parenting, uh, where you go to school and where you work. Are you a triple plus person are you one of those negative persons? Are you a multiplier or are you a diminisher? If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter. And we're going to look beginning in verse 10 where Paul is writing to the church there. And he writes these words. He says, you are witnesses and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. 
so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well, the first thing he does is he tells us in this scripture the purpose of encouraging one another. Look there in verse 12. Again, it says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy. You know, whenever we talk about encouraging others, and I'm going to use that word encouraging as a synonym for influencing, as the Bible does. Whenever we think about encouraging people, we think about just uh, saying nice things to people to make them feel good. But that's not the purpose of true biblical encouragement. True biblical encouragement is to energize someone to cause them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God on their life. And and here's, again, my question. Because people know you, are they more likely or are they less likely to follow Christ? Not just to become a Christian, but to live a Christian life. Are you encouraging people? Are you influencing people to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? It's not about making people feel good. It's not about boosting someone's self-esteem. You see, someone's self-esteem is going to be taken care of when they walk with the Lord. Uh, They're going to feel better when they walk with the Lord. So let's not treat the symptom. Let's treat the cause. And let's influence people. Let's encourage people to not only accept Christ, but to live for Christ. As a supervisor here at the church, there's about seven people that I supervise. And I meet with them on a regular basis. We call them coaching sessions. And when they come to those coaching sessions, they're to bring one sheet of paper with them, not two, not three. And all they're to do is to answer three questions, and those three questions create a format for us to talk together. The first question they're going to answer is, what have you been doing since the last time I saw you? It gives them a chance to brag. And the truth is, is no, nobody knows what work somebody else does, not even their supervisor. So it gives you a chance to affirm them. The second question that they answer is what are you going to spend an inordinate amount of attention toward until we meet again? The number one thing, according to Gallup, that uh, employees don't know is they don't know what their supervisor expects of them. And wouldn't it be nice before they spend the next 30 or 60 days of their life doing something to know that that's actually what their supervisor wants them to do? So there's a chance to do some redirection there. But the most important question on that coaching form is the last one, and it is this. What can I do as your supervisor to help you be successful? What do you need from me? You need permission. You need more budget money. You need influence. You need an announcement. You need for me to get the heck out of your your box and and stop micromanaging you. What do you need from me? And it's an important question because as a supervisor, my job is to help them be successful. And I I want to coach and I want to lead in such a way that they have a better chance at being successful at their job. And they all supervise someone. And their primary job is to make the people they supervise successful. And those people also supervise people. They're usually lay leaders in our church. And their job is to help those lay leaders in our church be successful. And those lay leaders, their job is to help the people they lead in our church be successful in following after Christ. How are you doing in coaching and influencing and encouraging others? Are you a triple plus in their life? Are you a negative? Is what you're doing helping them be more likely to be successful in the most important task that God calls us to, and that is walking the Christian life in a manner that is worthy of the calling of God. The purpose of encouragement is to help people be successful in that, to walk worthy. 
So why are we to do that? Well, verse 11 tells us. Look back, if you will, at verse 11 on the back of your worship guide. It says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. You see, I have a responsibility to encourage you, to influence you. You have a responsibility to encourage and influence the people in your life because we're family. I mean, we are. Some of you are in that time of life right now where your kids are going off, the last kid's going off to college, and you're kind of sad about that. And some of you, it's a really a traumatic experience to see that last kid go out of the house. Well, I just want to give you good news. Don't worry, they're coming back home. <laughs> they are. They'll come back home after college. They'll come back home when they build a home. They'll come back home when their electricity goes out on their side of town, all right? And you know what? That's okay, isn't it? Isn't it okay? And the reason it's okay is because they never cease to be family, do they? They never cease to be your kids. He says we're to influence one another. We're to encourage one another as a father would his children. When the phone rings and my caller ID says it's one of the kids or any family member, I'm picking up. It doesn't matter what meeting I'm in because they're family. Uh, There are people who are in this church who are in your life group. and, And you have a responsibility to be intentional about influencing them and bringing energy to them following close after Christ because they're your brother and sister. I want you to do something right now. I want you to just turn to the person in just a moment to your right and to your left, and depending on their gender, say, hello, brother, hello, sister. Just do that right now, would you? All right, come back to me. Come back to me. It doesn't take that long. Let me reel you back in. Now, you may have just turned to your wife and said, hello, sister. Because she is your wife, but she's also your sister. And because we're in the larger family of God, we have a responsibility to influence one another. And we're not to shirk that responsibility. Guess what? You also have brothers and sisters in China. And you have brothers and sisters in South Africa and in Haiti and in Mexico and in Boston and D.C., in Denver and San Francisco, brothers and sisters, and we have a responsibility to influence them, to encourage them. So the purpose is to help people walk closer to the Lord. Why? Because we're family. Well, let's talk about the how. How do we actually do it? What are the nuts and bolts of encouraging and influencing one another? Once again, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Now, there are three Greek words there in verse 11, and I want us just to look at each one of them because he didn't just put those words there just to be putting them there. Oh, good catch. First of all, the first Greek word that he uses there is the word to instruct, And what it says is is that sometimes we encourage one another by giving instructions. Uh, These parents just stood here on this platform and they said, we accept the responsibility of helping our children be more likely to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Well, a part of that is for them to tell their children what's right and for them to tell their children what's wrong. And that's not very popular, by the way, in this world today to have standards, to have absolutes, some things that are always right, some things that are always wrong, because things are very relative today, aren't they? And and we have elevated 
tolerance as the number one attribute, haven't we? But friends, we do not love someone when we allow them to do something that is harmful to them that goes against the precepts of God. And sometimes, although it sounds strange, it may be different to you to think about, but the way you encourage someone to say, hey, no, 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 don't go there. You know better than that. You know what God's word says about that. You do that and you're going to shipwreck your life. And not only are you going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt other people. Do not do that. That's called instruction. And the first word there in verse 11 is exhortation or instruction. And one of the ways that we influence one another is that we teach the truth even when the truth is not popular. The second word there is a word that can be translated affirm. Right? In, in my Bible, it's translated encouragement, the word that's kind of our theme today. But it's that time where we come alongside someone who is doing the right thing, and we affirm them in that. We, we catch them doing something right, and we say, way to go. Every once in a while, I get an email from uh, somebody in the church, and they'll say something like, well, I know you don't need to hear this, but thank you for saying this. It helped me, gave me an insight, or you did this, and it and helped me. And, and the truth is, they're wrong. I do need it. All of us need it, don't we? For someone to come along and when we do what God calls us to do, when we're walking in a manner worthy, for someone to say, hey, I noticed that. God bless you in that. Now, don't everybody send me an affirming email this week. Because I'm going to tell you, I know I need it, but I'm going to tell you somebody who needs it more. There are people all around you who are obeying God in some very, very tough situations. And God's spirit will move in your heart this week. And when he does... Do something about it. There are people who work in our nursery here that uh, they leave church every week with soggy Ritz crackers all over their Sunday best. <laughs> when was the last time you said, hey, thank you for loving on my kids so I could hear the gospel today? There are people who work with our middle schoolers and they work with our high schoolers and they don't just work on the weekend. They go on retreats and camps. Some of them take their vacation to invest in your kids and mine. When was the last time you said, at a boy, at a girl. Thank you. When my girls were growing up and they were in that middle school, high school time, I thank God every day for the other adults who were speaking into their life when my voice was muffled by the fact that I was their parent. And they became significant adult people in my, my kid's life, and their Christian character is shaped in large part by those individuals, many who still go to our church today. Thinking about a single parent who's having to be both mom and dad, but they're doing it in a God-honoring way, and you know them. What it would mean to them this week if you came alongside them and said, I'm so proud of you. I see what you're doing. I know it's not easy. I know you're not perfect, but God bless you for being faithful to what God has called you to do with those kids. Write that card this week. Make that phone call this week. Drive across town Affirm those who are walking according. Then that third word that's there is a word that is a word that's guide. And this is different than instruct. Instruct is where you say, one of these days you're going to face this situation and you need to face it, or it's an exhortation that says, stop doing what you're doing. This is more, in fact, the, the word guide is a good word because it's like you're a tour guide. And a tour guide gives more of a step-by-step turn by turn, kind of a 
GPS kind of influencing or encouragement. It means several things. One of the things it means is you have to be with that person. You know, one of the things about parenting is that we do our best parenting as we make margin in our life so that we have time to notice what's going on in our kid's life and to be with them in those different situations. But it also means if you have a tour guide, it means they've been there before. And, and our best guiding comes from the fact that we have followed Christ in an area and we know what is the best thing because of that and we're telling someone not what they ought to do but we're telling them what we are going to do with them first way that we influence others is we influence others with our words but this last word about influencing them with our words brings up the second way that we influence others and it is when we influence people with our deeds Look back at verse 10, if you would, on the back of your worship guide. It says, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly what we behaved toward you believers. Or look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. It says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acadia. What is Paul saying? He's saying, we have been an example for you to follow. See, it's understanding that some people will be best influenced because they're visual learners. And they won't get it if we just say it. They're going to get it when they see it, when they see us following. And here in 1 Thessalonians it says, and you're going to follow us as an example. And as you're following us as an example, there are folks in Macedonia and Acadia who are following you as an example. And there's a trickle down isn't there when we not only say what people ought to do and affirm when they do it and guide them step by step but we're actually doing it with them when I was growing up my older brother Mike who's a year and a half older than I am he was always a grade ahead of me and I can't tell you what encouragement that was to me to see my brother who accepted Christ first, and he had already been a Christian for several years when I invited Christ in my life. And he was first to go to middle school, and he was first to go to high school, and I saw how he was a Christian in those settings. And when it was scary to me to go to a new campus and be a new place and wonder if I could stay the course in my Christian faith to see my other older brother Mike do it before me. And there's something about that. Some of you who are in high school right now, there are middle schoolers, and you don't even know they're watching you, but there are middle schoolers who are looking at your life. And some of their friends are beginning to make the wrong choices and head down wrong paths, and they're looking to you to see if they can grow up and be in high school and still be faithful to God's calling and still have friends and still be happy and still be their success. And those of you who are in college are some of these high school students who are watching you and they're seeing what it's like when you leave home and there's not the church around you all the time and there's not that peer pressure or the family around you to make sure that you're faithful in your faith. And some of you are setting an example for them that you can thrive in those college years in your growth in Christ and your impact on the world. All of us, though, all of us have someone who's on the path behind us, and they're watching us, and we will encourage them, and we will influence them. We will be triple-plus people in their life, not so much by what we say, 
but much, much more by what we do. Final question is when are we to influence others? I want to turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 24, because I believe it answers the question. It says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Don't miss verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking in this context about the second return of Jesus. He says you, you need to encourage one another and get together in small groups and, and, and influence one another. And even more as you see the day draw near. You see, when you read the scriptures in the New Testament, you get the sneaking suspicion that the writers thought that Jesus Christ was returning in their own lifetime. Question here, were they wrong? Well, in a chronological sense, you could say they're wrong, but they weren't wrong at all because that's exactly the urgency that God wanted them to have. To say, you know what? We don't know when the Lord's coming back, and if we're going to be about his business, we better be about it today. We better influence this next generation today. We don't know when he's coming back. And the truth is, is we don't. The Bible says no man knows when the Lord is going to return. But here's what I believe. I believe that God wants us to have a sneaking suspicion just like they did 2,000 years ago, that it's in our lifetime. He wants us to live with the urgency because the truth is, it could be before this service is over today when the Lord comes back. Or he may wait another 1,000 years. Either way, we need to live as if it's tomorrow. And the practical reality is, is that for some of us, it may be tomorrow. Anybody here could get hit by a milk truck tomorrow doesn't matter when the Lord's returning. Do they still have milk trucks? I guess that makes all of us safer. But watch out for UPS because they are moving. All right? Don't send me emails on that one, please. We're to have that kind of urgency that now is the time. Listen, if you're going to write a, a, a letter of affirmation or an email of affirming to somebody, do it today. Don't wait till. Monday, do it today. If you're going to hug a neck and say, I'm so proud of you. You're becoming such a great young Christian man. Do it today. Don't wait till next week. Now's the time to influence and encourage others. The very first church I ever pastored was in a little town called View, Texas. Some of you have heard me talk about it. View is 20 miles south of Abilene. Downtown View consists of two buildings. One was the View Baptist Church, and the other was a building that tripled up as a post office, a train station, and a domino parlor. Well, the first thing I did when I arrived at that little church, they ran about 80 in attendance. I wanted a list of all of the church members. Somebody rummaged around in a drawer. We didn't have computers back in that day. they rummaged around and they found some type pages and it had everybody's name that was a member of the church. Now what was interesting about that type list, the official list of the membership of View Baptist Church is that nobody was listed by their given name except one person. Everybody on that list was listed by their nickname. And everybody in the church had a nickname except for one person. Uh, There were 10 brothers called the Richards Brothers. 
And I didn't have to ask, nobody had to introduce me when Shorty Richards came in the back door. <laughs> Knew exactly who it was. There was another brother, brother of Shorty, that everyone called Hardface Richards. I mean, I don't ever, I never knew his real name. And it was because he was a farmer and he was out in the wind all the time in the sun and his face looked like leather. And so whenever it was time for him to pray, I would say, hard face, lead us in a word of prayer. <laughs> there was a lady in the church, true story, a lady in the church whose name was Meanness. <laughs> and it was a twist because she was the sweetest lady I believe I've ever met in my whole life. Meanness. And so I'd say, you know, who, who's uh, bringing the potluck? Who's in charge of the potluck? Meanness is? Meanness is in charge. There's only one guy who didn't have a nickname, and his name, he was the chairman of our deacons, his name was Bazzy Plowman. <laughs> now, when your name is Bazzy Plowman, you don't need a nickname, <laughs> all right? Everybody figure that one out. In the early church, there was a fellow by the name of Joseph, but nobody called him Joseph. Because there was a great famine in the land, it was Joseph who went and sold his property and very quietly, very secretly gave his, all of his money away so that people would have food to eat. And it probably was about that time that they stopped calling him Joseph in that early church and they started calling him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Paul got saved on the road to Damascus at the time. Everybody called him Saul. And he was persecuting Christians. He was seeing that Christians were stoned to death. And when he had his conversion, the early church looked at him with great suspicion until Barnabas came alongside him and spent time with him. And then Barnabas brought him to the church and vouched for him and said, it's sincere, we can trust him. And because of that, you have most of your New Testament today. In fact, Paul and Barnabas went on a missionary journey, and as they were going on the missionary journey, they brought a young rookie, a young believer with them by the name of John Mark. And they made their very first stop on an island called Cyprus, and John Mark got homesick. Have you ever been there? And he quit. He went back home to be with his parents. Well, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they finished their missionary journey, and they came back home. And they started making preparation to go on a second missionary journey. And it was Barnabas who said, you know, let's take John Mark with us again. I think he's grown up a little bit. I think he's a little more mature. I think he can make it this time. And Paul, who apparently hadn't written on grace yet, <laughs> said, no way. Strike one and you're out. Barnabas said, that's okay. Let's just agree to disagree on that one. And you go ahead and take Silas with you on your missionary journey. I'm going to take John Mark. And you and I have the gospel of Mark in our Bible today because someone encouraged a young man who failed early in the ministry not to give up. Here's something very interesting. When Paul is dying in prison and he writes to Timothy, the one person he asked to come and see him is John Mark. He said, please send John Mark because he will be useful to me. And there he was ministering to Paul in his dying days because someone encouraged that young man not to give up and that he was useful. If they were going to give you a nickname today, what would it be? I mean, as it relates to this topic. Are you a triple plus? Or are you a negative? Are, more pe are people more likely to walk in a manner worthy of their calling because they know you personally? 
are you just neutral in their life, a zero, or perhaps even negative? My prayer is that all of us would be Barnabas to someone. The person who, not only by their words, but by the way they live and the example they set. Parents, listen to me. Your kids are watching how you handle finances. They're watching how you resolve conflict. They're watching how you handle the truth or the lack thereof. May every parent, may every grandparent, may every neighbor, may every student, may anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ to have one of their nicknames, Barnabas, one who encourages, one who influences others to walk in a manner worthy. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the instruction that you give us because you care about us and because we're your children. Thank you for the affirmation and the encouragement when we do walk in a manner worthy for us to keep doing so. And thank you so much for a daily guidance by your Holy Spirit that tells us where to turn right or left so that we might honor you with our life. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.